No Page Unturned Bookling Edition. In these episodes, we'll be taking a break from our long-form read-along reviews to cover an entire book or novella in one go. Join me, Christina Ladd, and Steph Kingston and Josh McDougall, along with some special guests as we discuss what we liked, what could have gone better, and what kind of read you're in for. You are going to have to edit Dorothea out of the background. I'm sorry. It's whatever. It's winter. Dorothy is, it, is at her strongest. <laughs> her most potent time. Uh, right. Okay. So on this episode, we have a very special guest, Jason Clark, uh, who is a librarian and also a kaiju aficionado. Um, he is a Godzilla expert. He will uh, downplay that and say that he's not, but he is. Um, and he had an exhibit until recently in the Boston Children's Museum, or the Boston Museum of Science, it's both, with Godzilla throughout the ages as toys on display. So, welcome Jason. Uh, we're here to talk about the Kaiju Preservation Society. Thank you, glad to be here. Yay! Uh, that is, that is extremely cool. So, like, how does how does one become a Godzilla expert? Well, I mean, my, my story is essentially, uh, as I recall, it's one of those things where I've liked Godzilla so long, I don't remember when it started exactly. But um, when I was a kid, uh, my at one point, my cousin Ed gave me the, there was a Shogun, back in the 70s, there was a toy line called Shogun Warriors, which was these like two foot robots, really great toys. And for whatever reason, they licensed Godzilla and made one. And so I got that as a hand-me-down from my uh, cousin and thought it was really cool. And somewhere on the same time, I started watching Creature Double Feature, which was a uh, thing that they had on W uh, LVI 56 here, um, or it might have been TV 38. I'm sorry, I should remember. I think it's TV 38. Every weekend where they would show two monster movies, and usually one of them was Godzilla. So I got to watching that there. And uh, the final piece of the puzzle was that uh, in Waltham, Massachusetts, there was a toy store called Mr. Big's Toyland, which would import Japanese toys, and they would have these ads during you know, creature double feature and like anime force five and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, my dad worked in Waltham, so he would take me there sometimes and I would get it, you know, get some really awesome looking, uh, Godzilla toys that looked way better than anything that was being made by American companies at the time. Uh, so the three of those things all kind of came together and just led to me being a lifelong obsession with Godzilla, I guess. <laughs> I don't, um, and Godzilla has, um, if I can just go a little bit longer, Godzilla has, uh, had some weird uh, connections in my life. Um, so when I wanted to get into college, I wrote an essay about a person who influenced me and it was Godzilla. And he got into Harvard. That's awesome. I did. <laughs> I did. Yeah. Just some, um, some college that you got into. <laughs> I wasn't going to say. That's okay. I was. Uh, yeah. The, the night, get this, the night I met my wife, our group went back and watched a Godzilla movie because that had been the pre-existing plan to do that. Wow. Night with our group uh, it was my friend's birthday and i had somehow talked everyone to go go back and watch a godzilla movie so the night i met my wife we watched a godzilla movie together and when we found out she was pregnant i sort of looked at the calendar and i looked at the, thought it looked and i went back and like let's see that 2014 godzilla movie is coming out that but she's a big, she's gonna be born that week and she was <laughs> my daughter was barwin was born uh the week that that movie came out so okay. uh, <laughs> that's kind of graduating into spooky territory yeah, right. So um, it wasn't the day. If it was the day of, that would have been really <laughs> something. But it was the same week. In fact, I couldn't go see it. Like my dad and I had planned to see it together. And we couldn't see it because um, because of that. And also, I should mention, my dad and I have seen every American Godzilla release together since Godzilla 1985, with the exception of the terrible 1998. <laughs> 
which doesn't really count. It doesn't really count anyway. <laughs> I don't That's have awesome. enough Godzilla opinions for me to have an opinion on the 1998. So yeah, this no. is helpful. I know nope. what to hate already. It was not good. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's the it's the Independence Independence Day guys took a shot at it. American Ooh. Godzilla, and it's it's real bad. Ooh, no. It's okay. neither a good Godzilla movie or a good movie. Oh, oh no! It's a decent Ouch. remake of the Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms. That's what I'll say. <laughs> That's about as good as it gets. Well, hopefully this book is not as terrible as that. Hopefully it at least had some good Godzilla angles. Josh uh, is going to intro the book. Okay, so we are reading the Kaiju Preservation Society, and what it's basically about is Jamie Gray who. Uh, gets a short end of a stick at losing his job, finds a position with what is known as an animal rights organization, and it turns out the animals that they are preserving the you know rights and taking care of are in fact kaiju in another dimension on a alternate earth. And through it we, you know, see, you know, different science involving kaiju and politics involving kaiju and like we go into like a deep dive into what it takes in order to take care of kaiju so a feel good story for the holidays yeah yes it is it's it was a fun book (laughs) it was steph did you want to talk about scalzi or yeah, so John Scalzi is probably one of those authors that everybody has heard of, even if you've never really read any of his books, and that's because he is insanely prolific. He is, like, just con- never not writing, and and he writes about all sorts of different things, too. So, um... This is just straight up from Wikipedia. I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie and say that I wrote this. Uh, John Scalzi is an American science fiction author and former president of the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America. He is best known for his Old Man's War series, three novels of which have been nominated for the Hugo Award, and his blog Whatever, where he has written on a number of topics since 1998. He won the Hugo Award for Best Fan Writer in his 2008, or sorry, in 2008, based predominantly on that blog, which he has also used for several charity drives. His novel Red Shirts won the 2013 Hugo Award for Best Novel, and he has Great written book. nonfiction books and columns on diverse topics such as finance, video games, films, astronomy, writing, and politics. And he was the creative consultant for the TV series Stargate Universe, which is kind of fun. Yeah. So yeah, if you look at his his list of uh, writings it's just insane he is he's written so much and uh and that blog of his yeah like i mean he's he's been re- writing regularly for over 20 years on that thing like so the the man is just a, a word machine have any of you read his other books nope i've read uh old, the first two old men's war i don't know if i read the third one i, I know i read the first two and i read red shirts and their old man war is great it's a kind of a funny take on the whole Starship Troopers thing. Uh, the idea is that in this far-flung future, we're at war with you know insect-type monsters and uh, aliens. And since uh, the idea is that instead of young people fighting, they have the ability to clone bodies, so they get old people and they say, "We're gonna put we're gonna put you in these young bodies, and if you survive the war, you get to go off in your young body and live continue to live." Mm. Um, so uh, that's the premise of it. And um, red shirts, I, honestly, I. 
it's been a while and red shirts is complicated but it has it's some it's sort of a take on star trek and red shirts with like a really complex reality twisting stuff with television and um it's great and very funny but it's hard to explain <laughs> okay yeah red shirts and old man's war are the the books that i've heard of like those when i hear mm-hmm. john scalzi those Same. are the books i usually think of but this is my first uh john scalzi book Actually, Jason is also our resident expert on John Scalzi. Welcome, Jason. <laughs> hey. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, he just wrapped up, I didn't read it, I shouldn't say, I, I, I want to, he just wrapped up a big trilogy of um, uh, some kind of uh, imperial space, a space opera thing, too. Um, so it, it, from the, the back of the book, it's, you know, they explain sort of this process of writing Kaiju uh, Preservation Society. It seems like he was ready to dive into something just as complex as that was, and then life intervened <laughs> and so instead he wrote this in what appears as he was a pretty short time yeah part of yeah. the book details for this is that uh, this is his first standalone book since the interdependency trilogy which is what i guess that mm. that the books that you're talking about yeah yeah and this yeah so the context for this one is also that it is a pandemic book um hopefully someone is listening to this uh, past the stage where we have to explain what that is, but um, yeah, it was twenty twenty was not a great year for anyone, including Bad John times. Scalzi apparently. Um, but he managed to get a book out of it, which is more than most of us managed. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> so yeah, before we delve into it, kudos for that alone. Um, but yeah, uh, let's let's get started. What did, what were impressions of the book? It was super fun. I I really enjoyed it. It's not, I don't know if it's a good book, (laughs) but it's a fun book. It's, I think, Steph, you described it in your review as like popcorn or like. Yeah, he like Scalzi himself calls it a pop song. Yeah. And and yeah. And like for me, like I was like, yeah, like this, this is this is true fantasy. Not in just the sense that like there are kaiju roaming around, but also the idea that like somebody you Uber deliver food to is going to give you your their business card and sweep you away and pay off your student loans. And you get to work with fun, cool people and nobody's an asshole. And like, like that's the fantasy of it truly is, is the, the financial escapism. <laughs> and going to, to a world where the pandemic isn't happening. Yeah, yeah. And, and everybody yeah. gets a vaccine and like they don't it's not a it's not a thing they, yeah it's yeah yeah and it's it's also a fantasy where like science matters and like mm-hmm. diversity is such a not like diversity has been solved um because yeah. like everyone in the book very is like very respectful and it's from yeah all six inhabited continents and, like, the villain you know, everybody's it's not cool. the most complicated villain i've ever seen <laughs> No, yeah, and like the the villain is like a fucking cartoonish villain. Like he's a shitty corporate guy who wants to use the kaiju for weapons. Like it's not like it's it's none of this is deep. The <laughs> villain great. is it's like fun. Lex Luthor in the Superman movies, where everything he's doing is in order to own more land. That's yeah. the kind of villain that it is. It's just like, well, it's like it's like Lex Luthor, but dumber, and Elon Musk, but smarter. But the, I mean, the stakes are very yeah. like low for what he's trying to accomplish. He just wants yeah. to make more money. When yeah. he's and he doesn't do a single thing that surprises me in the least. <laughs> no. No. Yeah. no. Uh, 
And the most surprising thing that he does is appear again <laughs> after the beginning of the book. Yeah. Well, that was another thing that I found really entertaining about this book is like the idea that like a lot of people know about the kaiju. Like it is like kind of an open secret in a certain levels of society. And like this hasn't happened before. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah. The idea that like random business bros can rock up to Kaiju Earth for a tour is is hilarious to me. Like, and that's it's very or, they don't, or they don't talk about it because yeah. people will just laugh yeah. them off. Like, I guess is the idea. Well, who's yeah. going to believe it? Yeah. I mean, I actually don't hate oh, that explanation. Like, you know, yeah. Yeah, the, a, yeah. yeah. The explanations work at the level yeah. that the book does, which is like, yeah, yeah that works. If anything, All right, next page. There's a lot of hand waving. Well, of they, they lampshade yeah. it hard uh, when there's a point in the book. I'm trying to remember the exact line where he's basically like, uh, some, he talks about how some books like ex, they, you explain this, you explain the science like it, the, some ridiculous premise, and you just move on. Like a character specifically says mm -hmm. that. Yeah. And what I find ironic about that a little bit is that this book actually, more so than other kaiju stuff I've read delves into the science scientific stuff he's developed around his idea. For example, um, I'm not, I, I'll get, I can get into this more later. I don't want to dive quite into my thoughts on the Kaiju yet, but his, this is one of the few Kaiju books I've read where the explanation for the Kaiju is said to follow physical laws. Usually there's something else going on. Okay. Um, like some kind of like supernatural kind of, so I'm going to, I can go into it. Okay. Just go into it. Uh, just go into so it. Yeah. The, the, yeah, the, the book it. I kept comparing this to is another book I really love by a Japanese author called Hiroshi Yamamoto, which I highly recommend, called MM9. Uh, MM9 standing for Monster Magnitude 9. It's I've read a few different kaiju books. There's a surprising amount of kaiju fiction. I'm actually pretty excited to have this John Scalzi book because it's like sort of a mainstream kaiju book. But MM9 is amazing. It's a series of interconnected short stories that kind of form a novel. It is about, a, like, essentially his idea was, like, what if there was a meteorological company, a meteorological, um, corp, like, a meteorological government group that responded to kaiju attacks? And a lot like uh, Kaiju kind of Preservation Society, there are references to the various um, previous monsters. But what it is, is he'll do something like he'll reference the, the monster Gorgo from the Jap from uh, the British movie Gorgo, which was a Godzilla ripoff, and call it Eugene, which is the name of the director. Um, and then he'll do the same thing, like, uh, the beast from 20,000 fathoms, he called Ray. He refers to as Ray, but like all the idea is all these movie monster attacks happened now, but now the explanation for the Kaiju in that one is really interesting. It's very quantum physics. The idea, if I'm in, it's, I'm not, I'm going to mangle this a little bit, but is that essentially humanity's observation affects reality so that in the past there used to be Kaiju everywhere, but as we increasingly created like scientific explanations for things, these supernatural things started to go away and were replaced by uh, the scientific things. And to the point where, when they're going to this explanation, they're saying like, we deal with these kaiju now, but eventually these are going to be, these kaiju will be explained as uh, like the, like the reactor that blew up in Fukushima or whatever. And, and then reality will actually change in the past such that that's what actually happened instead of being a kaiju attack. <laughs> so it's like, it's like the Stroganer, it's, it's the Stroganer's cat thing where, uh, like yeah, that. and actually huh? I liked it I like more that than, because that's what they use to explain mm. why um, kaiju can exist at all. 
they're basically like they're they're in the mythic universe. And there's a fascinating part in one of the stories where they are there's a kaiju that bursts this sort of mythic field. So for a moment, they're these humans realize they're in the mythic field. So like whatever they're made of is different because they're under different rules at that moment. Um, it's 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 clever and interesting, and I really liked it. And it's very contrasting with what. I think Scalzi does here, which he tries to think about, think through a way that there's at all possibility something like this could exist. So, and I liked what he did. He's got this idea of these, um, like parasites, I think that create some kind of huge engine of heat transfer yeah. or something to that effect, as I understand it. Um, he's definitely like done some homework on the physics of like how this could work. Yeah. Yeah. And they go into how, uh, one, the one scientist explains that, you know, we, we not mm-hmm. to explain kaiju as animals, but as ecosystems mm-hmm. involving the different parasites and like how the parasites cool the yeah. nuclear reactors within the kaiju. I yeah, think that's, another... that, that's probably my favorite part of the book is like their, their like the reasoning of like how kaiju works. And then when they go right. into like explaining it. Yeah, Sam. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the science is actually really fun and i Mm -hmm. it was kind of like the martian meets godzilla in that sense like he clearly had like the most fun time being like how would this work i I will say though for me there was a big elephant in the room and i'm curious if anybody else picked up on it relating to the kaiju he doesn't describe them at all yes thank you he doesn't describe them and that's a huge difference from mm9 mm9 is great and i mean for me the appeal of the kaiju like one of the reasons i didn't like the movie pacific rim is the kaiju were boring they were all gray blobs that look like the same monsters you see in every jj abrams movie like they look like you know like cloverfield with that thing in star Star trek there's a bunch of limbs and like they weren't and they were all gray and they weren't very interesting the the classic kaiju from godzilla is like you got godzilla's a lizard mothra's a moth uh, you got King Kong as an ape. You got, um, you have like Ghidorah as this three-headed dragon, like golden dragon. Um, you have all these kind of interesting types of things. And so, and MM9 has all sorts of interesting monsters too. And in fact, one of the great parts of MM9 is there's a, uh, what's essentially a one of the kaiju is basically a 10-year-old girl who's yeah. like 40 feet tall. Um, and turns out to have a, oh, and God. turns out to be, uh, yeah, oh yeah, That's some and turns shit. out to be really important. Anybody seen Paprika? Well, <laughs> oh God, right? Well, it turns out she turns out to be really important to the story. But anyway, you know, but there's, but all the kaiju are really interesting and have interesting weird stuff. Mm-hmm. But then this one, like, I think the only thing I remember is he said at one point Jamie, I think, refers to something as like it looks like a Lovecraft nightmare. Yeah, and that's mm-hmm. the closest we ever get. And we get a yeah. little bit of that elephant, like the blind man touching the elephant descriptions of like the main one. I can't remember her name right now. The the one that gets kidnapped. Uh, Bella. Bella. Yeah, we get some like yeah. you know description of the face or the eyes, but I, just like what are these things? Like like Kevin, yeah, the fight? Like what do they look like? Just tell me. Why are you? And he's very clearly holding off on that. I'm kind of wondering why. Yeah, it was very weird to me too. And like my eye, the only thing I. can imagine is like he wants us to picture them based on what we think kaiju are but like yeah i don't i was really surprised about that because they're the focus of the entire novel and they're never described and it yeah like he he describes the like airship that they take to the base more than he describes the kaiju Mm -hmm. And I, f- I feel like this book suffers from what a lot of like western kaiju movies suffer from is that it always has too much people and not enough kaiju mm. like a, a lot of these western godzilla movies is like always like 
oh, here's this Marine. And I'm like, show me Godzilla. Like, <laughs> That's what I'm here like, for. And I had, and it's even worse for this book because I like when I talked about the ecosystems, I said some scientists, all the characters in these books just like run. I wouldn't even remember that the main character's name is Jamie Gray if I didn't just read the book description from the website because none of these characters stand out. No, the characters are never described. Jamie's Jamie's never well. Jamie, I'm pretty sure is meant to be like a blank slate, like yeah. thing that you're because Jamie's never even given a gender. Is he not? Is she not? Yeah. He, he or she not? Yeah. I, mean, I, wow. I checked. I'm I'm 90 sure Jamie is never going to gender. The name Jamie is gender neutral. I think it's meant to be like fully a self insertion <laughs> character. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Steph Steph pointed that out. I read her review before I read the book, and I was like, "Wow, Jamie." I checked. Interesting. They don't. Yeah. So yeah. Well, this was part of my why in our in our group chat. What part of my this is not a like a novel. It is mm. a movie script. And the way the, the characters are, yeah. they're left blank, so you could ca- like cast them as anybody. I mean, uh, <laughs> and let the designers figure out the kaiju designs. Pretty yeah. much, yeah. yeah this is this is a, a movie one or season one of yeah. a TV show or, or movie, and uh, and I would watch it. I, I totally would watch would. it. But may- yeah. Maybe I don't want to read it. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah. I think the characters all had personality. It's just that they all yeah. had the same personality. Yeah, the yeah. their like, personality they was scientist or yeah. Jamie. Well, they were like snarky, but ultimately affable. They were all yeah, like everybody super had quippy. a funny quip, a Joss yeah. Whedon yeah. dot. Like, and I will say, yeah. to be not... fair, that's kind of scalzy writing. Just so you know, okay. uh, especially okay. something like this is. He writes like serious science fi and then he writes like red shirts. This is very much in the same vein as red shirts. Okay. Like he, I think he, one of these authors that'll write his quote unquote serious stuff and then he mm-hmm. takes a break with a novel like this. So having read red shirts, this was very familiar to me. Okay. Okay. This style. I mean, good to know. I'm not excusing it, but I'm necessarily if you don't like it, right. but I'm just saying like, this is, what, it, this is yeah. what he does. I don't think it has to be excused. It, it is no. what it is. I'm yeah, not offended I'm not saying by it. It's, like it's, uh, I was going to say the, it's not that the, dialogue is bad it's just that i've seen so many joss whedon shows and mm. marvel movies at this point that is that it's too familiar and it's become sort of uh overdone for me and i feel like it, if he just and if the characters had stood out more maybe i wouldn't have been bothered by it so much it's just like not every every character has to be funny yeah yeah it was for me, I kind of hoped going to this, it would be like a Michael Crichton version of Kaiju. Um, and mm-hmm. I think it's funny that we all thought the science was so interesting, but then like, and you almost think to yourself, can I have a little bit more earnestness and characters talking about serious stuff than the mm-hmm. quipping? Yeah. yeah. Like there, there are points in these books where like people die and it's not that it's blown over or anything like, pe- like, you know, there, there is a mention that like people are sad, but it's, yeah, the, the, I don't know. It's it's the everything is like everything is like a centimeter deep in this book. Oh, man. You know, I, I have that in my notes too. Is like it's sad that the characters died, but 
this book really needed some characters to die. Like not like saying there's too many characters, but it needed yeah. something that like I was sad that Tom died because I was yeah. shipping something Jamie and Tom to happen. But. Tom was the friend, right? That got him hired. Yeah. I was so sure he was going to turn out to be the 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 guy who was working with the bad guy. Oh like, really? And I huh. thought that would have been I interesting, and then it didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I thought he was going to be like a love interest for Jamie. Hmm. Oh, that didn't happen either. Yeah. Nope. (laughs) To the point where I was like, maybe he's not dead because I'm like convinced that they're going to like be together. But no, he did. He gone. Well, and that was sad, but like they died off. Like the other interesting and very movie esque thing about it was that both the ultimate villain and Tom died off screen. Yeah. Kind of like. And yet they could cut like mm-hmm. yeah. It, I mean, the science suggests that they can't come back, but narrative like by our narrative power combined, they might. Yeah, I think ultimately for me, in the end of the day, like as much as I love the idea of a mainstream kaiju novel, and I think his writing is very entertaining, the fact that the kaiju weren't described just really started to bother me by the end. Yeah. <laughs> like I want because yeah. scri- kaiju are characters, and to Josh's point about Western. Um, Godzilla films, the kind of funny thing is if you work your way through the Godzilla, then the King Kong, then Godzilla, King of the Monsters, then Godzilla vs. Kong, they figured that out by the end until the point where Godzilla vs. Kong is essentially just about Godzilla and Kong. Like, there are humans in there. You talk, you hang out with them for a little while and they do some quipping, but but you really don't like, you get you get to the meat of it and you get like a 30 minute fight at the end of the movie. That's all you want. So like, I haven't seen it, but that sounds awesome because that's just yeah. what I want. Yeah. That's what I want from, you know, kaiju movies is like, more kaiju i don't oh it's... i don't watch it for uh you know the humans right <laughs> godzilla vs kong is incredibly entertaining like there's a point at which kong is has to get back in the fight and first he does the mel gibson like knock his shoulder back against a building <laughs> <laughs> like puts his dislocated nice. shoulder back in place by hitting a building like it's really a nice that's funny awesome. moment so like that's that's where we are with godzilla vs kong and i think that they just roll with it and it's a blast um so, I, I, but to your point too about Western, the, the thing that I think the earlier movies in the, and then especially like the 1998 Godzilla, and I think I'm surprised, but I think it's in here a bit with Scalzi too, is there's a tendency to um, be, I don't want to say, I'm trying to think of the word for it, but Dismissive. like reluctant, reluctant to embrace the concept, like it's embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I'm saying? Okay. Like they're a little embarrassed by the, like Kaiju are kind of silly, aren't they? As so, a as a wrestling fan, I hate that. Like, <laughs> yeah, right? Just, like go like go all in. Don't be like don't mm-hmm. be embarrassed. Like, I, I either like go all the way or just don't do it. Right, exactly. And I think that that's what I feel with the with the with the lack of description. It's just mm-hmm. like, well, if I describe them, you're going to think they're silly. Right. Or right? like it's hard to describe things, so I'm just going to let the viewer imagine it. it yeah i think and i think it was a key the, aspect of some like of a lot of 90s movies though where it's kind of like well now we have to put the x-men in like black nylon because their costumes are just too silly it's, <laughs> and then you know right. all, all the superhero movies were like we need a gritty reimagining is what we need um I didn't get I didn't get quite the embarrassment sense out of this movie just because it was like or this book Hey, wow. It's a movie. Let's it's be real. It's, it's a movie, yeah. Yeah. Because um, I felt like his his lack of description was also kind of like, he was just plowing through this book. It's, it, it felt it like... It sounds like he wrote it in like a week and a half or something. Or something insane. <laughs> yeah. I think like that his editor... Like on the, the postscript, have, yeah. 
Yeah, his editor might have gone back and just deleted all the parts where he wrote "Enter Kaiju Description Here" and was like, "Nah, we're good." Because if you, yeah, in the like February, March. 2020 yeah. it's it. insane yeah in the postscript year. of the book he talks about like how he tried to spend most of 2020 writing a different book and ultimately abandoned that book because it just wasn't coming together and then wrote this book like not intentionally it just sort of he, he i think he says it just sort of the idea of it came to him and he had fun writing it so he just went for it and then they released this book like using that book's release date mm-hmm. so yeah it is possible that it's like not very edited. <laughs> that brings up a good question. How did did okay? Did everyone here read the postscript? Mm-hmm. I assume yes. so. How did, did the postscript change how you felt about the book? It confirmed it for me. Like I, I was reading this book and I was like, this is silly and fun, and like very like the this world, this pandemic world that we are clearly living in, sucks. And so this is a fun book about escaping the pandemic and the f- horrible financial system that we find ourselves in. And so, and then reading the postscript, I was like, yeah, okay. I was, I was right. And with him talking about trying to write, you know, he'd gone from the Imperiex, which was pretty serious and heavy to this other thing he was trying to write. This book also, you know, seems to me like this is one of those palate cleansing books that some authors write it. Yeah. Which I think is also true of red shirts. It's just like, I need to be in a completely different headspace for a little while. And just, I'm just going to have fun writing this thing. And it is hilarious. Like, this happens to, I think, musicians and all sorts of things. They write yeah. some goofy one-off, and then that becomes their biggest hit ever. Pearl Jam covers Last Kiss, and they've never yeah. had a bigger song than that. Like, <laughs> Yeah, this is like a single. Yeah. This is like a, yes. a cover song. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Which I don't hate the idea that, like, and, and granted, like, Scalzi can get away with it because he's an incredibly established author. I, I don't, but I don't hate the idea that like you can have kind of a one-off book that isn't like the greatest thing that's ever been written, but it's fun and I'm sure people will enjoy it. Right. Like, not everything has to be a, a perfect work of art. No. Yeah. I, yeah. I will say, uh, you know, full transparency, we had an advanced reader copy of the book. But yes, the book doesn't come out. Well, actually, this this podcast episode might come out not after March, but if you're listening to this before March of 2022, December the book does not. Yeah, the book does not come out until March. The postscript actually made me dislike the book more. Really, it, really. I it's it's. I mean, I don't. I think he was going for like empathy. I felt in the postscript, but to me, as just just as a apology. Uh, as a like, I'm sorry. As an essential worker, like I don't feel. I do not uh, feel bad for him. John Scalzi right. is a very successful writer, and there is pl- a lot of other authors who put in a lot of work over the pandemic. That to me, it came off as like, oh yeah, I just like obviously writing is very difficult, but just like, oh yeah, I just put this one out like. Not all pop songs are good. Like he describes yeah, it as a pop right. song, but that doesn't mean I'm and like, you know, as we're doing this podcast, it's like, you know, we are discussing this book and then someone might buy the book because of it. And I don't know if I would tell someone to go out and buy this book based on and the postscript sort of made me like think less of it. Mm hmm. And I don't think that was what he was going for. And it's like, 
yeah, I get 2020 was hard for you, but it was hard for everyone. Mm. And so uh, if I had not, I wish I had not read the postscript because it made the book seem lesser to me when I was already didn't Mm. like it as much. You know, the interesting thing, having I am familiar with Galsy. I've read his blog at times. I've read a few of the books. It's very much in his own voice. And I, you're, now that you say that, I kind of wonder, like, if you're not familiar with Galsy, like, this is this is how he talks to his readers. And I think there's probably a degree to which he's used to having a set audience, and he's talking to them. Mm. And it's actually fascinating mm. to hear your response here because, like, it's almost like, oh, you don't know Galsy, and I'm not trying to excuse him, but it is like you don't right. know this. This is always his tone. Um, right. And his self-efface, he tends to be like kind of, I mean, kind of self-effacing, I think is what, and I think he's doing a little of that here. Um, uh, and very honest, but um, also kind of flip. And I can see how that could come across here. I will say the the book did not like, I, I didn't read it and it was like, oh, I'll never read a, a John Scalzi book. This is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it actually made me more interested to read. Um, what is the the his big one? Old, Old Man's, Man's War. War. Yeah, me too. I'm very intrigued by that. And actually, this book, and it's also it's almost based not on the book. It's based on I want to see what else he can do. Uh, that I would want to read the Old Man's War. Like it wasn't like I read this book and like oh this is his style of writing. I I want to see what else. I, I will tell you, to, if it makes you feel any better, that the lack of characterization is not characteristic of him. That I was actually quite surprised mm-hmm. by how shallow, okay. I hate to say it's shallow, enough. but like, you know, I think it's pretty clear these were not deep, richly developed characters. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty yeah. two-dimensional. Um, yeah. Which I think adds to that movie feeling. Um, yeah. yeah. But, and. It's just that's just sort of like it might I prefer characterization over plot, but the mm. problem is there's not much plot either. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And so when that when I read the postscript, I was like, why should I? I don't know why I should tell listeners to invest in this book. It's more like, hey, like, and there's nothing wrong with this. Maybe take this book out of the library. And, I was gonna say this is definitely a a rent, or like if it's. On sale for like two bucks as an ebook. I definitely got a couple bucks worth of enjoyment out of this book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A lot of his books go on sale for like two ninety nine. Yeah. Don't don't pay like hardcover price for this book. I guess unless you're huge into kaiju's or John Scalzi. And yeah, yeah, and maybe and maybe like it is you know obviously like it wasn't for us, but we we all recognize that it was still yeah. enjoyable. I and, wouldn't even say it's a yeah. bad book. It, no, it's yeah. not. Yeah, it just, but I guess for me, for the me. thing is, as yeah. a kaiju yeah. fan, <laughs> I really wanted to like this book. Mm-hmm. I went in really wanted to like it, right? And then at the mm-hmm. end, I'm just like, yeah. man, I'm gonna reread M- MM9. And I did. Uh, <laughs> um, and I was like, man, I love MM9. <laughs> right. I guess but, yeah, like it's it's not really a good book, and it's definitely not a good kaiju. Which is weird because like I was ex- like yeah. beyond some kind of interesting things like with the the nuclear reactors and the parasites and like those kind of concepts mm-hmm. but like you can have those and also describe what they look like yeah he just shied away from the kaiju themselves just, and i guess yeah. I, I guess i'm just like when you have mm. gigantic creatures like this that's the appeal like you, you, i don't know mm-hmm. i don't know i do think picking a a a jerk billionaire as your villain 
it was a good touch because then I was like happy that he died. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, totally. he, got, he got what he He's deserved. He's the worst. You think he was a play on Musk? I think so, yeah. I think he was a play on, yeah, either Musk or Bezos. Oh, oh, and then Elon Musk guys. mentioned the book and then. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And then Rob Sanders is like, I don't know who that is. And I'm like, I don't believe you. Yeah. It's. I think when the book went for particularity was actually when it was best. So, like, when it really got into the specifics of the science or when mm-hmm. it. Um, you know, I was really looking for a plot mm-hmm. in the first 50% of it. And I took the like inner mechanics of this base of operations as a plot and that's how like mm. i was desperate but also it was kind of interesting it's like okay yeah. how do you logistically do this this that, that appeals to me like i am definitely the person who missed my stop on the train a couple times because of the martian because i was like but how did they with the solar <laughs> cells like well, i love that shit um and this, like when when it got to having a plot when it got to having a specific plot with specific goals can i ask you something did you remember i was waiting for this and it never came up did anyone ever talk about the idea of like them using this technology or this planet to like move if because of climate change it was just like well there's nuclear there's there's nuclear so so we can't come here i'm just like since when has that ever stopped humanity (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean it's also a murder jungle yeah that's true it is you're right Yes. But so it but like, so did, it doesn't the sound like used to be like that too. To <laughs> like the world used to be yeah, like that too. Yeah. We, we it took a while but we did conquer mm-hmm. it but like I, I all the time you spend some time in the forest so many people just die out there cuz they're not prepared. Um yeah, I mean I thought that was a little odd. Uh, it, again, it was a lot of like hand waving. Just like we're not going to talk about this. Yeah. Okay, you can jump to a different universe. It's funny, it's actually something he's done in other cases. So um in old bands war, the way the faster than light engine works is that it's called the skip drive. I actually quite like the idea. As I understand it, the way it works is that it kicks you to another universe that's really, 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 really close to the one you were in, except that your location is now closer to where you to where you want to be. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you jump to an alternate universe. Okay. It's essentially the same, except you're where you wanted to be. You just happen yeah. to be. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. So like he clearly has like interesting ideas and knows enough about physics and things that like, you know, he he like is able to express that really yeah. well. But it's like, okay, then like tell like you talk about like Bella is so important because she is a rare type of kaiju. What does she look like? What right. makes her different? Like she's right. laying eggs out of out of what? Like <laughs> Well, we know that they have cloacas. So, yeah, and but they like, get are tumescent. they bird-like? Are, it, yeah, yeah. Or is it a, just a big scaly dick? Like, are we, yeah, are we talking Godzillas? Are we talking King Kongs? Like, what are they? Yeah. Just to go back to the the characterization for one moment, I feel like he used the different fields of study as a replacement for characters characterization. Mm-hmm. But the problem is the way a lot of the dialogue tag and the quippiness of it a lot of, towards the end i felt the characters stood out most when each of them were doing their like when they had to get together to save bella and they were each doing their individual things as part of the team in order mm-hmm. to For sure, save yeah. bella but the problem is by then none of the characters stood out so i didn't remember who was what 
like study of like field of science right and and the way there were times where people would talk and i wouldn't know who was talking because they all sound the same but it was like the only moment in the book where like because they were each doing their like what they needed to do in order to succeed in this mission that any of them like stood out and then jamie gray lifted stuff yeah yeah (laughs) so the the last 40 percent of the book if you had started there, it would have been more of what we would have expected. It had a, like a, a, time, a ticking time clock, like a countdown to a disaster. It had a kaiju in distress. Like it had all the like nuclear reactors and villains. And like that was kind of the crux of it. Um, but there was all this other stuff in the beginning where it's like, this is about science. Let's talk about nuclear parasites. I was like, yeah. those were, you know, it's it's kind of, it's not two books. Like, it's not that disjointed, but it is mm. kind of like John Scalzi's interests <laughs> violently changed in the middle of the book. <laughs> and yeah, to Josh's point about their identities as their jobs, like, I felt like he was kind of channeling Jeff Vandermeer, who, um, the Annihilation book, where they're, they're, they don't have names. Like, it's just the biologist, the, mm. uh, the psychologist. But they had, they were distinct like you got a line of dialogue you could assign it immediately to who was talking so i did want to just highlight this one conversation we mentioned earlier how the way they get away with this is that um they figure anyone who talks about it in the real world like no one will believe them um uh, if they if the people who visit try to talk about it and so here's the discussion he's having with tom and so jamie says it's a reverse lampshade and tom says i don't know what lampshade means here but much less it's reversed and Jamie says, it's a literary term. It means calling attention to something improbable, acknowledging its improbability in the text, and then moving on. And Tom says, and that works. And Jamie says, more than you might think. And Tom says, I suppose it might. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, you're a little too meta yeah. here, maybe. <laughs> oh, God. I forgot about the whole bit where, like, Jamie wrote, like, a dissertation on sci-fi novels like yeah. i think specifically on neuromancer i think i think so yeah he, like he mentions it a lot yeah mm-hmm. he mentions it a lot in the beginning of the novel right and then or it no it was um again. snow crash right okay. snow crash yeah yeah, yeah 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 but yeah and so that's like and that's like jamie's only personality <laughs> characteristic is like he knows about they they he out of whatever know about sci-fi novels <laughs> yeah which it's whatever. Like that, you know, that was my entire personality throughout my teens. So, like, <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Fair. But, yeah. I, I think I don't have a whole lot to say about this book other than criticism. Not be, Again, not because it was bad, but because I was expecting a lot more from a mm. book that's about kaiju. And I think that's part of the problem with, like, going into genres that are very well established. And that's not entirely Scalzi's fault. Right, like we have so many expectations because there's been fifty years of kaiju, and it's just like we all have ex- like we all have understandings of what we think it should be, but it's such a a weirdly wide field. It's like it could be Pacific Rim, it could be original Godzilla, it could be like freaking Alien is almost a kaiju movie. Like it's, um, you know, he wrote the book. He he bears the responsibility, yeah. but it's also it's also largely as someone who's tried to write kaiju fiction, it's it's hard because it also is I think best uh, cinematic genre, and because mm. the visual impact of the creatures and 
Um, right. I, it's, and so that I, so as someone who's actually gone back and forth with trying to write a kaiju novel myself, I was kind of interested in his approach to it. And then I ended up being a bit surprised by how hands-off he kind of ends, ends up being with the kaiju themselves. It's, I feel like you could probably insert a couple different, like, it, you could almost just change a couple of things and write the same novel without kaiju. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, it's an, it's an alternate universe and there's a power source of some sort and, like, I don't know. Aliens, it could be. Aliens, yeah. It could be, like, you could, they could be monsters. I mean, like, it could be. Like fantasy type ones, they could yeah, be they could be, they like could be dragons for like dragons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I will yeah. say one good thing is like at least Jamie Jamie Gray as a character is pretty likable. Like yeah. he's not unlikable. Mm -hmm. Like I will say that, and like I do like how the ending reflected the beginning with the yes. uh, friend. Yes. Him losing his job, and then mm -hmm. his friend also losing the job. And it it bookended very nicely. Yeah. <laughs> you could almost hear the like the Marvel strings running up to be like <laughs> you know how every after credit scene is just kind of like you hear those that musical cue and you're just like oh they're yeah. setting up the next movie it's like ah <laughs> yes this is what's happening what was it you said Christine, or one of you said something along the lines of like don't ever let John Scalzi near a Marvel script I think it was Josh yeah <laughs> Yeah, I, I I think he would do a good job. I just like yeah, he would need the costume department and the VX department and the so on and so forth. So, but yeah, like I don't know, not a bad. It book. was good. It's it was just, it was popcorn. Yeah. Like I know this is this is coming out in March and we're reviewing it in December, but this is like a perfect beat treat. You can pick it up. Mm -hmm. You can put it down. Yes, it's science fiction instead of romance, and so like that's what you want at the beach like totally a plus yeah i like i would i would amend what you said about like not buying it like i would buy this for someone who is going on vacation and just be like here this is fun that's fair. yeah i mean i've got it pre-ordered because it's kaiju fiction and i want to support kaiju yeah. fiction in all its forms and yeah. i thought it was i thought it was enjoyable and i kind of hope that he that it does well enough that he revisits this and maybe does a bit more with the concept yeah i would yeah. i would read a sequel totally um and and maybe describes the kaiju a bit yeah. more. Yeah. Next time. If, if this was a new author, I wouldn't say that. But this book is going to sell regardless of what I say. That's true. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I think it is it is frustrating to have like I see what you're saying in that sense, Josh. Even though I am not an essential worker, like, and so that ending didn't hit quite as hard for me in that sense. You know, John Scalzi has a lot of grace extended to him as an established mm. author. Um, but he's aware of that too. I want to. I think out. he is. Yeah, and I don't like. I don't. He's in the more self-aware like, than a lot of cis white authors are. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. Yes, there's a lot of diversity in this book, and yeah. you know, he's trying. He had a blog yeah. post years ago talking about the idea, and this I, I don't know that he originated this, but it's been around talking about his understanding of like. <laughs> If you're playing a video game it, and you're a black woman, you're starting on hard. Yeah. Or mm. automatically on the hardest difficulty, whereas he realizes himself he's starting on easy as a white man. Yeah. In America. Um, so. I, I think, you know, he definitely, if they had to cast this movie, they wouldn't be able to cast a non-Indian um, person right. for 
the biologist, uh, right? Yeah, Aparna. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it's true. And like, um, I, I the the other guy, like, uh, the the pheromone guy, yeah. is like a Maori guy, yeah. like. But it, yeah, Neve uses they them pronouns, like, and yeah, they, yeah, and they're so, Irish, I think. Yes, by yes. the name. I yeah, I think they talk. Oh, yeah, because they talk about how everybody, if everybody at Trinity could be seeing them right now. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, like absolutely, it's, it's like it's a super diverse book. Uh, it's a bummer that like the diversity maybe stood in for personality a little bit, but yeah. it's. I would rather have that, I guess, than like a bunch of like boring characters who also have like aren't diverse and have no personality right it's not that john scalzi hit it out of the park with this one but it's also that everyone should be allowed to have a book like this it should go in that Mm -hmm. direction it's not like well he should be kicked out because he wrote a book that was more of a beach read it's like no everyone should be extended right like yeah and like i'm interested to read his other stuff now yeah. You know, like, I would say, like, if, if you don't want to jump into, you know, a big trilogy or a serious series, but you want to know more about how he writes and his style, I think this would be a great intro. Those are red shirts. Yeah. I, I think for me, I, I again, I thank you for bringing me on this podcast. And while I will buy this book, I also appreciate the opportunity to tell people to read MM9 <laughs> because not enough not enough people know <laughs> yeah, about MM9. I, dude, I put yeah, that no, on that, my list. Yeah. I added it to my that sounds great. Amazon wish Because list. it's really fun. Yeah. Yeah, we've yeah. ruined Steph's life because of this podcast. Oh we my just kept God. telling books, tell, t- telling Steph to read certain and books. Then, and then <laughs> they like got me on the advanced reader copy list now. So like I get free books, like dozens of them emailed to me a month and it's just like okay i have to like make good choices about what i'm actually reading because like i can't just read ev- half of everything like i have to like pick something commit to it and then also write the review right i or tried at least that in 2019 <laughs> and i got burned out yeah <laughs> i mean that's why i quit my toy i yeah. had a toy review blog for that was fairly popular for years and then i just burned out i just because you know at one point so yeah, somebody sent me a bunch of stuff yeah. to toys to review, and I just looked at that pile of toys, and I was just like, "This is work now." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. It's a very quick read. It's a it's a very quick read. Kaiju Preservation Society. It's a very quick read. I, and I, you know, I think I think Scalzi himself basically acknowledges like this is not my best work, yeah. but it was fun to write, yeah. and it got me through a tough period, and it got me to get a book in time so i didn't go back because he apparently prides himself very much on getting his books in on time mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he makes that pretty clear yeah. like uh fulfilling his congrat- contractual obligations so and that yeah. was the that was the part where i had like a bit of empathy for him because he's contractually obligated to right. have books published yeah. under like his and his deal and i remember when he got his now book deal it was a big deal mm. uh like it was it was like on all the book news sites. It was apparently a very like, uh, you know, it was a high profile deal. So okay. to be in that position where you have to, right. you have to get like we just talked about, like you know, reading and then having to review it. He yeah. had to. Yeah. Yeah. He's contractually obligated to get a book out. Mm-hmm. And while it did make it sound like he would be given leeway. If he, the fact that he still fulfilled the obligation of a book being released at the time during like a very 
shitty period of a pandemic. Yeah. That part, I was like, yeah, I understand, but yeah. but that that doesn't doesn't make me think the book is good. Like, I'm not gonna change my opinion on the book because of that. Yeah, fair. Yeah, no, we could like can only be honest. But he he also could have he also could have like released a big you know artistic book, and I still could have been like, I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it still might not have been for you. Right. Right. Yeah. It, so it, in years of reviewing, I think it gets easier to be nice when you start looking at books in terms of the bars that they set for themselves. Right. And it's a lot easier to be kind when you're like, yeah, but this book wasn't trying to be, mm. you know, yeah. the great American novel. Yeah. Right, yeah. Um, like I read a horror novel that wasn't, you know, it wasn't trying to be a deep meditation on humanity. It was just trying to scare you. And I was like, yeah. all right, well, that that A, that's a horror novel. Good job. And B, mm-hmm. like, Okay, you know, cool. I have yeah. my preferences, and I can only, like, I judge things based on those. I'm very judgmental. It's why I review things. But, like, <laughs> you know, I by its own terms, this book is pretty successful because it wasn't trying to be anything but a movie. Yeah, yeah and I, I mean, think it being a quick read really helps it, because yeah, yeah. I, I will judge a book whether I finished it and whether it felt like it was worth my time. Like, this is why endings are so important. And, you know, some people will talk about, oh, it's not a big deal that it has a bad ending. It was about the journey. I'm like, no, the ending <laughs> determines whether that journey was worth it. And if the, I love the idea of Josh being like, you're wrong. If, if the, the destination could be like, oh, I, I walked to the grocery store to get this flavor of Doritos that I like, and then it was out of stock. That tr- that walk was a waste of my time. Like, <laughs> Such a, psychological studies have shown this. Like um, the guy who wrote the Pursuit of Happy, uh, what is it? The something of happiness. Uh, Daniel Gilbert. I think it's the Pursuit of Happiness. Daniel Gilbert. He. I remember he mentioned how for years he didn't like. Um, he thought he didn't like Schindler's List, and then he watched it again and he realized he just thought the last part where it goes color and they're throwing the the roses is really 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 sentimental and lame. And he hated that, and it hated it so much that it affected his entire view of the film. Then he watched it again, and he's like, oh, that's not so bad. But I guess the research has suggested yeah. that like, if something has a bad finale, a lot, this, you see this a lot with TV shows. If they Yeah, like bomb- Game of Thrones, man. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. That, people, that show's- people hate that show now, yes. even though they loved it for like 90% of the way. Yeah. It's dead yeah. to people. I, I, yeah. Sometimes me, I, I'll see my sister, and I'll be like, hey, remember when... <laughs> Game of Thrones had that shitty ending, and she'd be like, we'll, we'll get mad about it all over again. Yeah, you really get angry um, yeah. about a or lost. bad finale. Yeah. Yeah, Lost is another yeah, one. Yeah, I think, it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but my original point, like, it was, uh, we've uh, gone off track, but, like, because be- this is not, a, doesn't feel like, I didn't finish this book and feel like I wasted my time because it's such hmm. a quick read mm. Mm. it's good yeah yeah no i didn't feel like i wasted my time it was there i re- like i'm i'm actually gonna remember it more than some other books that i've read that's fair like, yeah <laughs> like it is a unique concept yeah it had good elements like i'm still very curious about nuclear pa- like we're bioelectric entities right like chemicals and electricity mm-hmm. interact in our systems and like that's interesting to me and like Having a nuclear aspect of that is also interesting to me. So, like, all right. 
you know, I'm going to take that forward. It's more than I can say than about some, like, YA novels that are very, very formulaic at this point. Like, Mm -hmm. listen, I love YA, but oh my god, sometimes. Yeah. (laughs) I also remember this book as the first book I read that had, uh, it took place during COVID. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. that's true. But wasn't about COVID, which is why I could finish it. Like, oh my god, don't. We were talking about this at some point it's just like i i cannot read something about a pandemic everyone started marketing those like no i want to get away well, my, wa- my <laughs> yeah. wife is talking about how they're making a tv show based on station 11 and she's just like why oh, right <laughs> <laughs> like no the what mm. and they like made and, like, it during the pandemic too like i think it had been in the works for a while yeah. but like yeah it's like all the books like everyone was like oh we love a pot like dystopian fiction and YA and like you had the Hunger Games and every single knockoff and then uh, and then 2016 happened and we were just like oh we're no no can't do it can't do it so um one the one thing I want to mention too that this reminded me a bit of and I think when I went into it I was hoping for was uh the guy who wrote the World War Z and all that Max Brooks had a book a Bigfoot book called Devolution last year um and so my about it's a Bigfoot horror novel essentially and my sister and father and i all have kind of fondness for like monster on the loose novels um you know like not mm-hmm. necessarily i mean like jurassic park is an example but we'll read stuff like this so i kind of thought maybe going in like that would be that something like that and then mm-hmm. like i say it turned out to be i guess as we were discussing i think the stakes were surprisingly low yeah, yeah. you know in the devolution you get used to the characters and then you know the monsters come and they kill people and you're like i like that person and now they're dead and it's horrible um, but you know, this book, it really does, that, that was the only thing that kind of like, it didn't really get, um, too crazy with the, the kaiju. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think one of the implicit regard. understandings of kaiju is that they are going to go stomp on a city and maybe you stop them <laughs> Im- imminently before that happens, or maybe they crush the Sears tower. Or something, but, but like the two settings for this were another world and extremely rural Canada. Which, yeah. like, no offense, Steph, <laughs> but there is no one there. Like, yeah. Yeah, like, why was it in, why was it rural Canada instead of, like, uh, a big warehouse, you know, or something, like, in the middle of a city where there's some stakes, right? Yeah. Am I crazy to think to it one was of that? A, it was kind of weird, yeah. Like, or just, like, close to, like, a city. Yeah. Any city. It was like, close to a city, but it was a small city. And we were like, I, I remember they said the city and I forgot it. <laughs> yeah, it was like an RCMP outpost. Like, Didn't they say, like, <laughs> when it would go off, it would only kill, like, 10,000 people? <laughs> right. And yeah. it's just like, I think, I would I would bet not a lot of money, but a little money on the fact that John Scalzi also couldn't deal with the pandemic and all the death. And he was just like, mm-hmm. even if the bad thing happens, it won't be that bad. It's fine. Right. It's fine. <laughs> Mm. I, I think higher stakes though would have made up for the characterization because then it wouldn't. I have... think I think that's fair. Yeah, yeah. You guys just want to massacre my people. It's fine. Whatever. I mean, only, I, I only think 10, the people though. who survive don't have to go into debt stuff. And to be fair, a lot of them are cops. So. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Quebecois. That was that one was a joke. <laughs> so this has been the book hordes take on <laughs> 2021 and politics. Mm. 
Amen. Next week we're All reading. Mounties are bastards. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't. I'm sorry. That does not have the same ring. No, no. it does not. <laughs> are they still Mounties? They're still Mounties, right? Oh yeah, yeah. It's our exist? federal like police service. Do they still? Do they wear the red and the the? It's like their dress hat. uniform. Yeah, yeah. But otherwise, like they wear South. like a regular uniform. Police I don't know what uniform. Does what? Do South is my only reference. <laughs> that uh, it is a Canadian show about Mounties. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. For the Kaiju Preservation Society by John Scalzi, what what works? I'll, I'll start. Uh, everything about uh, the Kaiju and their nuclear reactors and them being more of an ecosystem than animals. Basically, like like a, the majority of the science. Yeah. What about you, Jason? What works for you for this novel? Um, again, yeah, I agree. The science is great. Um, I, I like the sort of setting of like the jumping over to this sort of alternate Earth where there's just kaiju. I think that was neat. Um, uh, it's a bre- it's a good quick read. I like. I always like that. The dialogue is can be it, it can be a little quippy, but it's fun. Um, yeah, I liked all that. That's a good point. I did really like the setting, and they explained a lot of the differences between this earth and our mm-hmm. earth very well mm-hmm. uh what about you christina what, what works for you everything you guys said and i think once the plot happened i really enjoyed it i love marvel movies i am a sucker for that and i think that once we had clear stakes and a clear forward motion there were plots there were guns, there were tasers, there were attack. I love it. I'm, a, I'm not a complicated person. So this is not a complicated book, and that both of those things are okay. And Steph, what about you? Yeah, it was a super fun, light, easy read. Um, some interesting world building. Could have gone for some more, but overall it was still very enjoyable. Um, I did really, I really like the idea of the main character not being gender-specific. Like, I think that was, that's a really fun way to get your character, your, your reader to be able to insert themselves into the world a little bit more. Um, and yeah, lots of diversity and it was funny and just cute and nice. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what doesn't work? And I'll start with you, Steph. What does, doesn't work for you? For I, I, I think for me, if I was to pick, if I was to pick one thing, it's the fact that the kaiju are not described. Like they are... The focal piece, focal piece, yeah. focal point, focal point of the whole book, and we don't know what they look like. Jason, what about you? What what doesn't work for you for this one? I mean, it's yeah, same thing. Uh, I when I read a kaiju book, I'm I really I want descriptions of interesting weird monsters. That's why I pay my 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 fee, and then <laughs> I don't get them, and I find that. Very, very yeah. odd. Like, I just... It was a very really interesting odd. choice. Yeah. <laughs> Christina, what doesn't work? I actually think I would have been fine without the descriptors, because I... My mind filled in enough of the blanks there. I think, for me, the problem was I either needed more plot or more characterization. Uh, I needed something with specificity to sink into, um in order to get away from my life. Because the, 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 the problem with the insert character is that I'm trying to get away from me. <laughs> um, <laughs> in a pandemic, like, I don't want to be me. 
or in the place that I'm in. So, you know, it was a great escape, but it wasn't a great uh, personal obliteration. <laughs> uh, for me, it's that a lot of the characters, because they have no personality, a lot of their dialogue uh, runs together, and I don't know who is talking at times, and if it, it even if it just like a little bit, and maybe it, it, there's like a couple ways you could have do it, either turn down the the Joss Whedon slash Marvel dialogue or um, have the plot happen sooner than uh, it would have been a thing that didn't stand out as much to me. But otherwise, you know, it's a, it is a fun book. I, I really like what you said, Christina, about it. it's a beach read. It's a, it's a vacation novel. It's like, it's fun. Mm-hmm. You throw it in your bag. You read it. There's because there's not a lot of plot. You don't have to remember what happened in between read sessions. Yeah, yeah. And actually, it's the perfect book to take a break from this podcast. If we can start with the self promotion, leave this part in, Steph. Let's be honest about what we're doing. <laughs> um, it's a, it's a good break from because I'm in the middle of two separate Chorus of Dragons books. The one right. that we're going through and the one that I'm reading. Yeah, and. Uh, those are complicated, man. Yeah, there's a that lot going on. They switch bodies, they switch souls, their souls get put into three different people. It's amazing, <laughs> but it's complicated. And so, like, if you want to take a break, read this book. Yep. Jason, we, we always end the podcast with describing what else we are currently reading. So I'm going to start with you. Jason, what are you currently reading? Currently, if I look at my pile of stuff over here, I'm finishing up the second of the Witcher books because I've been trying to read those even though i haven't watched the show or anything i played the video games um and then i have a stack of like i bought i picked up the star wars ronin book based on the star wars visions where it's like oh. it's like they, they they did a book on that yeah there's a novel oh because that one yeah. was really cool uh and then also yeah. story genius by um uh lisa cron about writing it's a writing book so. uh christina what are you reading huh. uh, you already said the <laughs> the course so of dragons I, book yeah so i'm reading um the House of Always, uh, which I'm very, very behind on reading, but it's great. I don't know why I put it off. Um, and I have I have cleared actually my entire reading schedule to read it, so I'm already like okay. That's because because the Discord of Gods is coming. Yeah, we got we got the advanced copies for the fifth and final book, and so I was like, all right, we are we are saving ourselves until January, and then it's gonna be. Oh man. Yeah. We're going to have to publish the group chat. We're going to have to start a third group <laughs> chat just so that we can publish yeah. on the site exactly how much we started screaming. Yeah, It's yeah, going to totally. be awesome. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Josh, what are you reading? Uh, I am currently trying to wrap up my, uh, like, 2021 books to make a best, like, best of 2021 book list. So I am currently reading... Star Eater by Kirsten Hall. It's very good. It's kind of fucked up. Um, <laughs> and the There's no book... kind of involved. It's very fucked up. <laughs> well, you have to remember, I'm towards the beginning of the book. I'm sure it'll get worse. <laughs> um, and I'm also reading a book I've been meaning to read for a while that came out this year called The Unbroken by C.L. Clark. Um, it's a, another, like a very... Um, military fantasy book as it, it seems to be about like they have like conscripts that are trying to like get above their station and it, it was a 
like it was a books you have to it was like oh, a lot of those books you have fantasy books you have to read in 2021 lists back in 2020 and i've been meaning it to read it and uh i'll probably sque- try to squeeze in right before uh i make my list is uh she who became the sun by shelley park Ooh, chan that's good uh, yeah. I actually don't know anything about it, but it is like one of those books that I have seen previewed so much that uh, I definitely have to read it and has had a lot of praise, um, you know, towards it. So I'm definitely going to check it out. And I, and the title alone makes me want to read it. It's just a title that stands out to me. Uh, Stephanie, what are you reading? I am still reading The Jasmine Throne by Tasha Suri. It's pretty good. It's long. It's a lot, a lot longer than I thought it would be, actually. So it's, it's been a, a good long read. Making my way through an upcoming book called Age of Ash by Daniel Abraham, which is a really interesting book. It, it's I, it's it's a weird one. I'll I'll probably talk about this in my review, but it's like it's like reading a book set in like a really rules-heavy D&D world. Like... There's stuff happening, but also, like, the the characters have to go and do, like, odd jobs to get enough money to, like, get a bed for the night here <laughs> and there. Um, so it's not my usual fare, but it's, like, one of those things where I'm, I'm feeling very compelled to finish it because it is so different. Um, have you read any Daniel Abraham before? No, but I and I've, I've watched The Expanse. And I've heard that the books are really good and I've thought about reading them. And definitely, like, one of the things about The Expanse that um, is really good about the show and I understand about the books is is the world building. Like, it's very, like, interesting and detailed and, like, grounded in a reality. Like, a, um, and so this, this book as well, like, it's very, like, low fantasy, uh, medieval kind of but like the 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 literally shitty parts of medieval life where like there's just poop everywhere so Mm -hmm. um i'm i'm enjoying it it's not yeah like i said it's not my usual jam but um i i'm intrigued by it age of ash it's the one where like the description of it makes it look like a misborn clone it's really not i don't think that description maybe does it a good service but um that that's that's funny because the only Daniel Abraham book I read is the Dragon's Path, which is part of his The Dagger and the Coin series. And I read it because I thought it was in similar vein to Game of Thrones. And it's very much Game of Thrones, except like he's really into realistic economics. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. Oh, he um, loves him some realism. And while I will say the book was very good and I liked it a lot. <laughs> the economics of it at the time kind of made me like, I don't know if I'm going to continue it, but uh, like I, there's definitely, I definitely at least recommend the first book because it was really good. Yeah. Yeah. I think for people who really love like detail worlds, his writing is, is, is for those people. Like, yeah. Um, and then I'm just, yeah. Otherwise I've been looking at our, our list of upcoming books and I'm trying to figure out what I want to, Pop, pop off that next. T. Kingfisher. Yes, always. It's the easy answer. Yeah. <laughs> when in doubt. Christina Drew's my wife to T. Kingfisher, and now my wife is obsessed. Totally obsessed. Yes. So good. <laughs> Slowly. Slowly. She's going to get all of us. <laughs> Josh hasn't yet. I was recommending that we all do a, 
Uh, Definitely, yeah. Yeah. Socials and other promotional items. Jason, anything you got? Um, no, I mean, I have a presence on social media, but I don't really have my, my website's not really active anymore. I guess if people wanted to read some of my older ramblings, uh, Jason FC Clark, you know, Jason FC Clark, uh, all one word. My middle names are Frederick and Cassani, and I have an E at the end of Clark, uh, .com. I have my old blog there and people can read stupid things I said in the past. (laughs) If they, if they want. And (laughs) That's what the internet's for. Yeah. And if someday I ever become, uh, you know, do get some publishing and actually become something of a writer, my plan is to pick it up again, but hmm. it's out there. Nice. Josh. Uh, you can read my reviews at the reading section of geeklyinc.com. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter at four of five wits. Staff. You can read my reviews also on geeklyinc.com. You can see my inane tweets at Steph O. Kingston on Twitter, and you can hear my crazy voice on many podcasts like this one, including uh, Random Encounter, Sailor Moon, SHU Podcast, Love to Hate Podcast, and there's a bunch of them out there somewhere. I'm around. Yeah, just just find us at Geekly. Yeah. Come join Twitter us. Twitter and Geekly. Yeah. You can find me at Girl, and then on all those other things. Steph even forgot to mention we have a Demons Are a Girl's Best Friend podcast. Oh yeah, waiting for the third. Yeah, yeah right. Podcasts. We forget how many podcasts we have. So although uh, we yeah, book TV. Yeah, that's eventually we're gonna get our last season of that sometime next year. <sighs> yes. Um. Thanks for listening. Uh. Rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Smash that like button. Also, thanks to our guest, yeah, Jason. Thank you. Oh yeah, yes. Thank you. Thank you for lending us your expertise. <laughs> I had lots yes, of fun. about Thank Scalzi you. and Kaiju. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we needed both of them, as it turns out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and also you can you can check out uh, Jason. Do you want to throw your Twitter on there or no? Uh, yeah, it's Pogostal. P O E G H O S T A L. That's Sweet. also my Instagram. All right. Thank you for listening to No Page Unturned part of the Geekly Inc. podcast family. If you like the show, please show us some love with a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at No Page Podcast. The show is edited by me, Steph Kingston. Our amazing theme music is by Bad Sparrow, and you can check them out at Bad Sparrow Music. And our cover art is by Chango Chimango, who you can check out on Instagram and Twitter at Chango Chimango. 